As spring football continues in the Pac-12, the two-time defending champion Utah Utes have got the biggest question to answer. But it's far from the only one. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. We just hit 2,300 on YouTube. Thank you all so much. I'm very, very grateful. You've all been great this month. And no news on the media rights front, which means we can talk spring football. So, biggest question going in to spring football. Some of these can get answered on the other side and heading into the summer months, and some of these, eh, maybe not as much. But the biggest one right now is, is in Salt Lake City because the question of whether or not Cam Rising will be ready to go for game one is, to me, the biggest outlying question in the Pac-12 because on schedule with his injury recovery, from what I have been Uh, made to understand is that he should be ready for game one but if not by game two but there isn't a whole lot of leeway there if the Pac-12 is going to send a team to the four-team playoff and Utah wants to be that team hard to see them being able to do that if Cam Rising can't play in every game and if he suffers a setback God forbid at any point in time and he's not able to play in a couple conference games now you could or if he gets injured in the middle of the season what is that going to do to Utah's Pac-12 championship chances? It'll drop them dramatically. I think Bryson Barnes, and by the way, JT Wister, still locked on Utes, has been talking about the QB2 battle a lot on his show for this very reason, because they need to have a solid backup plan in place. And if that answer is Bryson Barnes, as it has been, yeah, that, that it could work, maybe, but I think the level of quarterback play in the Pac-12 is going to be so ridiculously high in 2023 that if Cam Rising isn't there for even just one or two games, I think you can take Utah out of the Pac-12 championship discussion, even though they're the two-time defending champs. I, I, I think the conference is going to be that deep, that competitive there. So that's the biggest question to answer. How healthy is he going to be? Now, the, the, the positive news on that front, if you're Utah, is let's say Cam Rising, who's recovering from the injury as we speak, so he's not playing in spring football. Let's say he does have to miss a couple games over the course of the 2023 season. Well, the good news is Bryson Barnes, or whoever takes that number two quarterback role, is getting all the reps this spring, which is what you would like a guy to have if he's going to have to start a couple of games this season. Hopefully Cam will be healthy. The league is more exciting and entertaining if he is. But Utah is going to have to be very prepared for that. And their quest for what would be the first ever three-peat in Pac-12 conference history, it's got to start right there. It, it, it has to. It, it's a seemingly simple question, but it's really the, the correct one. If Cam Rising is not there, I don't, I don't think the Utes have uh, a chance. I mean, Barnes is a solid backup, but this is not you know Ohio State circa 2014, where it's Braxton Miller and then it's... JT Barrett and Cardell Jones and all those guys like that that's that's not what they have there in Salt Lake City right now. Another team that will contend for a Pac-12 championship this year, USC. Do we all know what the biggest question is with USC? I think we do. I know what I think it is. The question is, do you know? 
yeah, it's can the defense get better? The defense doesn't have to be great. The defense doesn't even really have to be that good. It just needs to not be bad. And if they can, you know, not allow over 40 points in two separate games to Utah, it's hard to see how they wouldn't be the favorites there. And we'll have to get Mark Colkin of Locked On USC on here to talk about the, the, the prospects of whether or not they can actually do that. But there is zero questions with the offense. Zero. You got the best player in college football. You got probably the smartest play caller in college football. You got a bunch of talent at all the skill positions. Like, I've got no questions there whatsoever. I know they're going to score points. But the question this spring will be, can their defense just improve? Can it just be better? Not good, not great, just better. I think that could get them a game that they didn't win last season, most notably the one in Salt Lake City against Utah when they allowed 43 points. I mean, you score 42 points a game, you shouldn't ever lose. Washington, biggest question right now going into spring football, can the secondary improve? Uh, Their defense let them down big time against Arizona State last year in the game that cost them an opportunity in hindsight to at the very least go to the conference championship game, maybe even the college football playoff. They could have been playing for a slot. I think they they struggled in coverage several times. I think they really struggled tackling. You know, they allowed 40 points to UCLA, a great running team. They they beat but allowed a lot of points to Oregon, who ran the ball, you know, all, all over the place. And the secondary really struggled in that respect. But it's not as if they were a complete and total disaster. Like, you could look at a good team and say they need to improve in X, Y, and Z. But you can never say they were totally awful, no good, very bad. If you won a lot of games, nothing can be terrible and you win a lot of games. Something can be not good like USC's defense, like Oregon's defense at times last year, but it can't be terrible and you, you know, go out there and win, win a lot of games. And speaking of Oregon, by the way, they, they have kind of a dual question. I would lean towards, can the defense be better? Cause it was pretty bad last year and cost them their two conference games against Washington and Oregon state. But they've got offensive line questions too. I, I could make a case it's the offensive line. They are losing four starters from the offensive line. A unit that allowed just, I think, three sacks all season. They only allowed one in the first like eight games. They were ridiculous. And they ran the ball really well. And now they have a bunch of new players coming in, just one returning starter. They're going to have a new center. And they've got talented transfers, but they've got a new offensive line coach too. That's a lot of turnover. For a team that was offensively really founded upon having a great offensive line that Mario Cristobal, you know, built and and left there in Eugene. So I, I could I think you could go either way. At the very least, they are one A and one B, but you could ask real questions about that offensive line. And they've got a new uh, offensive line coach, as I mentioned as well. Never know what's gonna happen there. Could be good, but we don't really know. Oregon State going into spring football. Uh, You can ask questions about the defense and whether or not they can replicate that production. But spring football, how well can you incorporate DJU and how are you going to use them? Jonathan Lindgren and Jonathan Smith, or Brian Lindgren, Brian Lindgren, excuse me, I apologize, Beaver fans, and Jonathan Smith have to ask themselves that question. Now you have a guy who's got more arm talent than any other quarterback that, that, that you've had since you've been there in Corvallis. Are you going to bring him in to just run your offense or are you going to bring him in to start bringing out formations, concepts and, you know, routes or whatever and plays that you didn't run before because you didn't feel like you could? 
I can make the argument to go either way. I think that's a very legitimate question. UCLA, speaking of the quarterback question, who's going to be their quarterback? I, I mean, it by all accounts, it looks like it's going to be an open battle. Colin Schley, the Kent State transfer, and Dante Moore, the uh, the five star that they flipped from Oregon at the last second. That could be. That's probably the most intriguing quarterback room going into spring football. Stuff we definitely have to watch for. Other teams have got things to watch for, and Cal's got a new basketball coach to talk about, and we have to talk about FanDuel because it's America's number one sports book. And with the tournament heating up and the Final Four coming back on Saturday, there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. Right now, customers get a no-sweat first bet. New customers, that is, up to $1,000. That's $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on. Sign up today. Claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net. Don't miss your shot at no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Okay, so rolling down our biggest spring football questions here. And there are some really intriguing ones and kind of, you know, some of these are really what spring practice is all about. And I don't think there's a better example of that than Washington State. They've got a new offensive coordinator who they brought over from, from Western Kentucky after Eric Morris left to be the head coach at North Texas. How is he going to be able to incorporate things with Cam Ward? Is he going to be able to work with Cam Ward and make him a better version of himself while retaining all the great things that Ward showed in 2022, which is a lot of potential, but some sloppiness and inconsistencies at times. Is that going to be cleaned up in the new offense? Are they going to be able to mesh and maximize his production? Good time Good time to figure it out would be right now in uh, spring football. Arizona, biggest question, will there be defensive growth? They and USC, operating on different wavelengths, have the exact same question. You don't need the defense to be good or great. You, you just need it to be okay or at the very least better than last year, and you could up your win total. Arizona was a, Arizona was a five-win team in 2022. If their defense was not, Swiss cheese implies there were elements that didn't have holes, but let's just say big Swiss cheese with big holes all over it. If they didn't have that, they could have gone to a bowl game, 100%. And they could go to a bowl game this year. They absolutely could. Now, do they need to maybe win that game at Mississippi State? Yep, but I wouldn't sleep on them in that game. I would not. I know it's in Starkville. I know it's an SEC team. But Arizona played them pretty tight last year, and if they're better this year, I would give them a chance because, tragically, Mike Leach is not on the other sideline calling plays. I don't think that Mississippi State offense can possibly be the same without him. You might be outclassed you know, talent-wise at some positions, but they can score points. They can score a lot of points. Delora is still there. T-Mac is there. They got dudes. So can there be defensive growth? That's what they need to be focusing on. And I think Jed Fish is uh, probably well aware of that. Cal, Justin Wilcox, still there. Just steady Eddie. Cal fans may not be thrilled with how steady it's been, but steady Eddie there for the Bears. What's the new offensive system going to look like? I don't know. I don't know that you know. They bring in Jake Spivital from, I believe it was Texas State. It was either Texas State or North Texas, one of those programs. And uh, he's the new offensive coordinator. They bring in Sam Jackson, who's 
rarely played in his college career so far after starting at TCU, and he's a mobile, more dynamic, athletic quarterback. Could it be a brand new offense? Is it going to be the same offense with some wrinkles and some other packages? Or is it just going to be completely starting from scratch, give the keys to the Lamborghini, well, it might not be a Lamborghini at Cal, but give the keys to the car, maybe it's a Corolla, you know, to spiv it all and say, okay, here you go, make the best offense that you possibly can, make it look however you want. That, that That's honestly one of the teams I'm most intrigued to see by the time spring games roll around is what's Cal going to look like? What, you know, is Washington State going to have any differences? What might Oregon State do? Who's going to be a quarterback at UCLA? I think these are some of the most fun things to see. Stanford falls in that category as well. I'll get to them later. But Colorado, speaking of spring games, which is going to be on ESPN, I believe, because it's ESPN. Of course, they're going to put Coach Prime on television. This is like kind of the epitome. Obviously, you hired him to win games, but this is also why if you're Colorado, you hired Coach Prime to get attention to your program. And he's obviously doing that. But the biggest question that I have and that I'll be watching for in in that spring game, which I believe is close to sold out at, at this point, a lot of excitement there in Boulder, understandably so. Biggest question for the Buffs right now, how ready is Shadur Sanders to make the Power 5 jump? And I'm, I know I'm going to get flack for this particular question. I don't even have a take on it. I, I'm just asking the question. Because every time there's a quarterback who goes from the FCS to the FBS level, some guys are able to make the adjustment and some guys are not. It doesn't mean he can't, but it also doesn't mean he automatically will. But that's the question that has to get answered. And spring football, good time to see how he's going to measure up against a faster, more dynamic defense compared to what he saw when he was at Jackson State. So, I think that's their biggest question right now. They have a number of other ones, but I think that's question number one because the quarterback position was a disaster there in Boulder last year. It was Brandon Lewis. It was JT Shrout. They had McCown in there at one point. I mean, it was a revolving door. What can he provide? Is he going to be closer to you know Cam Ward this year? Could he be you know Vernon Adams back at Oregon way back when? Or Oregon brought in another FCS transfer from Montana State the following year, Dakota Prukop. It didn't go very well, and he got benched midway through the season. So some guys are able to make that leap, some guys are not. And I'm I'm most curious to see what he looks like. Got the arm talent for sure. I I, I think he's got the arm talent, but the processing part of it of understanding that you're going up against a higher caliber of athletes now than you used to, there can be an adjustment there. And we saw that with Cam Ward, by the way. He had some turnovers in 2022 where you looked at it and said, yeah, that might have worked when you were playing in the Southland Conference, my guy. But at the Power 5 level, even in the Pac-12, there's a difference here. Guys are faster. You can't make that play. So I think that's a fair question to ask. Arizona State, how long of a leash, speaking of quarterbacks, how long of a leash does Drew Pine have? Because we saw him struggle last year at Notre Dame at times. And look, Kenny Dillingham in year one, there's no massive expectation for him to win. And Jaden Rashada is right now the future at quarterback. So if Drew Pine comes out, they start one and four and the offense is sputtering. Arizona State fans, understandably so, I think we'll start to clamor for Jaden Rashada and say, can we see the young kid and 
let him, you know, show us, show us what he's got at this point in time. Start his development, you know, throw him into the fire a little bit if we're not going to be winning this season. I think that's a very real question. And I'm most interested to see how they look in the spring game and whether or not there's a battle there. I suspect it's Drew Pine's job, but how long's the leash? We won't really know until the season gets underway, or at least until we see, you know, perhaps how how far along Rashada is. And then Stanford, finally, biggest question, what's the offense going to look like? I mean, Troy Taylor comes in and had a great run at Sacramento State. He ran a two-quarterback system there. You can't do that at the Power 5 level. It doesn't work. So what's the offense going to be? Because Stanford was a power-running team, pro-style. Then they tried to go to the long mesh and incorporating more spread, but that's never what they did, and they weren't doing it well. They have no identity offensively. This is a blank slate for Coach Taylor and his staff, what kind of system are they going to run? Is it going to be more old school? Is it going to be more spread? Are they going to be multiple? I I legitimately have no idea. A lot of different ways they could go there. But speaking of Troy Taylor at Stanford, he is in the interesting predicament being the head coach of the Cardinal football program, and he is a Cal grad. Yeah. And on the other side of the Bay Area... We now have a fascinating situation in which Mark Madsen, who's a Stanford grad, is the head coach of the Cal men's basketball team. The announcement was made, I think, officially about uh, 24 hours ago. It had been talked about all week as Coach Madsen was finishing up his season at Utah Valley, in which they won more games than they ever had in uh, program history. They got to the NIT semifinals, lost in overtime to UAB. I like this hire. I really do. I've had the opportunity to talk with Coach Madsen before. He's very polished, put together, very nice guy, very amenable and Meanable, menable, I don't know, something like that. But anyway, he's, he's easy to talk to. He, he knows his stuff and, and loves talking about his players, very passionate about what he does. And when he got to Utah Valley, a place that doesn't have the most incredible tradition of, of winning, they've had some good seasons, but it's not like it's a mid-major basketball power by any stretch of the imagination. They went 11-19 and 19 in year one. And then they went 11-11 11 11 in the COVID year. And then the next season, they had a 20-win year. And this year, they won a program record 28 games. They went 28-9. and They were the WAC regular season champions. And the WAC, by the way, a darn good mid-major basketball conference. They were, according to Ken Palm, the 11th best men's basketball league in the country. So it's not like there were you know, a bunch of scrub teams in there. I mean, there were several tournament-caliber teams it ended up being a one-bid league, but Sam Houston was one of the best teams in there. They beat a Power 5 team in Oklahoma on the road. Utah Valley beat a Power 5 team on the road twice. They beat Colorado in Boulder. They beat Oregon in Eugene. That's the pedigree from a coaching standpoint Mark Madsen is bringing to the table here, for those of you who don't know. And they were the best team in the WAC. They lost in the WAC tournament semifinals. They had what we'll call an unfortunate 16-minute run in which they lost a 23-point lead, lost on a four-point play, just crazy, crazy March Madness game. Tevian Jones of Southern Utah hit a miraculous shot. But 
Utah Valley was a team. And I have made this take on my radio show before, and I will make it here again. That team had a ceiling that was the Sweet 16. Did they hit that ceiling? No. No, they did not. However, that team had everything they needed to get to the Sweet 16. You had a lot of guards. You had a lot of shooting. They were very well coached. And they had a big man in the middle, Aziz Bandego, who was just an absolute eraser as a shot blocker inside for the Wolverines. Now, I like this hire for Cal. I do. He was going to be a really attractive coaching candidate coming from the mid-major ranks in a conference that ranked 11th nationally in either the net or the Ken Palm rankings. But one of the 12 best men's basketball conferences in the country, including the Power Six, right? So it's the Power Six, Pac-12, Big 12, uh, ACC, SEC, Big 10, Big East. And then you go to the mid-majors there and they were top five. They were, the, they were the fifth best mid-major conference. So they're coming from a place that, that had got some really good basketball, that's had really good coaches over the last couple of years and a lot of good players. And Madsen has to go turn around a Cal program that is in a dire situation. I mean, three wins? Was it three or four? It doesn't matter. It was less than five. It was less than five. And, and the details of you know what the job entails has not painted a pretty picture, but that's why Madsen is being brought in to do for Cal what he did for Utah Valley and Orm. And the potential is there. I mean, at any Power 5 school that's in the Bay Area, there's no reason you can't be good. And sometimes you're just one coach away. And Cal thinks that Mark Madsen is that coach. There's no indication at this point in time that he can't be. It's going to take a minute, though. This is, this is not a one-year flip. This is not Lincoln Riley at USC football. Okay, this is not Kalen DeBoer at Washington. This is not come in, fix everything in one year. No, this, this is going to take a second. But with a transfer portal, might take less time because there were some really good players. He had at Utah Valley. We'll see how many end up following him to, to Berkeley. But the question that... I want to ask here. I've asked so many on the show, and we'll get answers perhaps on, to some of them as spring football goes on. Mark Madsen was at the top of a lot of teams' coaching lists for this year or potentially next year if he decided to come back, which he obviously did not. He went to Stanford. He was an assistant there in, in uh, I think it was 2012-13 season. Why is he not the head coach at Stanford? The, the Cardinal have been struggling the last several years. But I've seen some Stanford chatter online asking the question, how did they not go get this guy? And I, I think that there is very real potential, right? There is not a huge difference between the Stanford and the Cal jobs in terms of you know difficulty of success. If Mark Madsen... And they, they, they would have had every opportunity to hire him, but they decided to retain Jared Haas and wish him the best of luck, would, would love it for one or both of these programs to be thriving men's basketball hubs, but at this point in time, they are not that. And if Madsen goes to Cal and he has a lot of success, maybe Stanford will call him then and he'd be enticed to go because it's his alma mater, but if he decides to stick it out at Cal 
and he has a lot of success there. Stanford could be caught holding the bag and, and, and just saying, wait, why didn't we do that? How, what, why did you not hire this guy? And I saw someone say like, oh, this, this was a colossal mistake to not hire him. Too early to tell. But if he wins, it'll be a what if for Stanford. Because if he's willing to take the Cal job, of course he would have taken the Stanford job. Of course he would have taken the Stanford job. So I'm fascinated to see how this plays out because I, 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 I think Mark Madison can be a really good coach. I think Stanford is missing an opportunity here. And that missed opportunity may very well benefit California Bear, Golden Bears men's basketball. I hope both those programs can get back to a place of prominence. They haven't been there in quite some time. But it's not going to be easy. But Mark Madsen was at a place where it was not particularly easy. And he won a lot and built Utah Valley into the best team in the WAC this year. He doesn't need to do that for Cal. But if he gets them back to the tournament and Stanford you know, continues to just be mediocre the next several years, they could be looking themselves in the mirror going, boy, we, we might have made a mistake there. Rooting for him, though. Hard to not to. Really good guy. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time, and have a wonderful rest of your day.